0: I've heard from many of you that you sometimes will listen to this show more than once, often stopping to take notes to try to get all the information from the podcast. Some of you listen when you're driving, running, or riding the trainer, and then you feel like you can't remember that point that you wanted to remember. So I took some notes for you. I took our three most popular episodes from last year, Breaking Down the Science with Dr. Stacey Sims, weighty Matters with Dietitian Diana Reed and Estrogen Matters with doctors Avram Blooming and Carol Tavris. And I boiled them down into easy-to-use guide sheets that include the background on each guest, an overview of the information, and clearly written action steps along with links to references. And you can get those right now. Just go to feistymenopause.com slash podcast guide to download them. Again, I took the most popular three episodes, boiled them down in easy-to-use information with all the points made and the action steps to take, and they are sitting there right now for you to download them at feistymenopause.com slash podcast guide. Okay, so this week, we have our very first repeat guest, Dr. Carla DiGirolamo, which I get better at pronouncing every time I say it. As a double board certified reproductive endocrinologist and an OBGYN physician, as well as a CrossFit level one trainer and CrossFit health provider, Carla knows a lot about hormones. So when I started to get a lot of questions about testosterone and what it does in women and why it's not part of standard hormone therapy for menopause, I turned to her for some answers and we decided to record a conversation and to have a show. As is the case, every time I talk about hormones, I end up with even more questions and that is the case here, but I think we waded through most of it. The fact of the matter is we need more research on our menopausal athletic population. But here's what I want to establish. I want some clarity on what testosterone is and how it works in the female body. We hear all about estrogen and progesterone, but we have testosterone too and it's important. Then I wanted to dive in a little bit about what happens in menopause, and when and how women should consider using testosterone as part of hormone therapy. I was especially interested in talking about this in light of female athletes. Testosterone is a banned substance for female athletes. So if you're a drug-tested competitor, it's out of the question. And it's hard to get a therapeutic use exemption because it's not recognized for medical use in females. There are no female-dose products on the market. So we dig into all of this because honestly, I think it's unfair that menopausal athletes who might benefit from testosterone as part of their larger hormone therapy picture need to steer clear of it because of athletic drug testing. And I want to be very clear that I'm not suggesting that we should all be able to run to the low T store and take whatever we want so long as we stay within certain parameters But I am saying I think there's room for menopausal women to get therapeutic use exemptions if their doctors prescribe testosterone as part of hormone therapy and monitors her levels to keep them in range. This is an example, in my mind, of a traditionally male-dominated system that's not recognizing that there are even menopausal women in their midst, and I'd like to change that. Okay, before we get to it, My little weekly reminder to come join us on our social media channels. We are at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. We have that private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook channel where you can pretty much come in and join all of the conversations and ask what's on your mind. And if you want a deep dive into all things active menopausal living, we've got the Feisty Menopause membership where we offer in-depth materials, expert webinars, and sponsor discounts. You can learn all about that at FeistyMenopause.com. If you want to reach me, have ideas for a guest, give me some feedback, you can email me at hit play, not pause at If you like the show, kindly go to your podcast platform and give it a five star review. If you've already given it a review, a million thanks. The hearts, the stars, the ratings, reviews really help this show to continue to grow and for me to get great guests. And I really, really appreciate it. Okay, enough of me. Let's have a quick word from our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need, and track my recovery, sleep, and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out of whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah, all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests, and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part, they don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash feistymenopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash feisty menopause. I can tell you, it works. As listeners of this show know, we talk about some pretty uncomfortable topics. So I am stoked to have a new sponsor on board, Bonafide, who is helping women find relief from a very uncomfortable topic, vaginal dryness. As estrogen declines, those delicate tissues can suffer, making everything from riding a bike to having sex uncomfortable, if not outright painful. Bonafide is devoted to helping women find solutions to symptoms like this that are related to the menopausal transition. One product that I can tell you works like a charm is Reverie. It's an easy to use vaginal insert that rejuvenates vaginal tissue and replenishes your body's moisture so you get relief from itching and burning and also greater overall comfort and improved intimacy. A few of my guests have recommended it, I have tried it, it works. Bonafide also has a host of other products including a new probiotic supplement that is formulated to promote a healthy vaginal microbiome. You can give Bonafide products a try today. There are no hormones and no prescription is required you just get quick, real relief. To get 20% off your first purchase when you subscribe to any product, go to hellobonafide.com and use the promo code HITPLAY, all caps, all one word. That's hellobonafide.com, B-O-N-A-F-I-D-E. And the code is HITPLAY, all caps, all one word for 20% off at checkout. And I'll also put a clickable link in the show notes. Check it out today. Okay. Carla, I'm so glad to have you as our very first return guest, which is which is exciting, um, to talk testosterone. Because, you know, as we've talked a bunch offline, and as has been coming up again and again and again in my news feeds, like testosterone seems to be seeping into the ether here as, as something that perhaps women should be paying attention to as part of their menopausal hormone course, yet it's not anywhere part of that. And I don't, you know, estrogen is kind of the star of the show. when we talk about all this stuff and then we talk progesterone, but like testosterone doesn't really enter the conversation and it is starting to. So nobody better, I think, than yourself to come in and and help us sort of understand this hormone and the role that it, that it plays in all this. And honestly, I would just like to start there. Like, let's go to the basics, what it is and where is it? Made in women.
1: Well, that sounds great. And thank you, Celine, for the opportunity to uh, to do this podcast. This is a great topic. I love this topic. Um, and it's so, so needed because, you know, like you just said, there's so much that's not known that hasn't been studied, but, you know, we, we need to know and we, we need to get more information about it. So, with that, so what is testosterone? So, you know, testosterone is a hormone, one of many, many, many hormones in the body. And testosterone is just one player in a larger androgen system. So androgens are collectively hormones that interact with cells in tissues in a similar way to produce a similar effect, like the things that we associate with tea, uh, hair growth, athletic performance, libido, things like that. So it isn't just tea that's creating that. It's it's every member of the androgen system that is playing a role. And if uh, and to appreciate the level of complexity, if your listeners were to go to Google Images and type in testosterone pathway or androgen pathway, you're going to see these big biochemical pathways that come up with like a million different players in it. And you actually kind of have to squint your eyes and say, where's the testosterone? And it's just buried among all of these other players in the androgen system. So that just gives you an idea of the level of complexity that we're dealing with. And you can have one of those graphics for every tissue in the body. It's a little bit different um, going from tissue to tissue. So it's complex. And one of the things that testosterone does is it becomes other things. It can be converted to DHT, which is dihydrotestosterone because some tissues use use DHT better than testosterone. It can be converted to estrogen of all things. And that is actually a huge thing in a female's body and in men too, especially men who are overweight because it's converted in, in fat tissue. Um, androstenedione, that's another big player. Uh, so, well, why are there all these players? And there are all these players because different tissues use different members of the androgen system in their function. And so it just adds that layer of complexity. So testosterone is you know, kind of at the center of it all, but it, it functions among a, a, a much bigger, bigger system. So that's kind of what it is and what it does. And
0: where, where is it generated in women primarily?
1: Primarily in reproductive age women, that's premenopausal women. It's uh, generated in the ovaries. It is generated in the adrenal glands and it is also converted from DHEA in the peripheral tissues. So those are three different sources in women of reproductive age. Now, when women enter perimenopause- and postmenopause or menopause, um, the amount that's coming from the ovaries declines precipitously. And so what shifts is the ratio of where testosterone is coming from. Now, a greater percentage of the testosterone is coming from conversion in the peripheral tissues. Um, you're still getting it from the adrenal glands, but it's declining with age as well. Um, but that's the biggest thing. There's a shift and an overall decline in androgens as perimenopause happens and as menopause happens.
0: Okay, so given all of that, what is testosterone's role in female physiology? You hear about it with libido, you hear about it with anabolic processes. Why do we have it?
1: So when we try to figure out what a hormone does in the body, the first thing you look for is, well, where are the receptors? And receptors are basically little antennae on cells and tissues that receive a signal from the hormone in question. And if, and if there are antennae there, that means that has a function in that particular cell or tissue. And so when we look at where testosterone and androgen receptors are, we find that they are all over the body. So, if you remember from the summit talk that I gave, we I, I showed on one of the slides. Well, where are the estrogen receptors? What does estrogen do? And of course, every system in the body has estrogen receptors. The same is true for androgen receptors. Um, it's they're everywhere, and so the androgen system has roles in our mood, our behavior. Uh, that's why it's called the mojo hormone, because sexual behavior is uh, governed by the androgen system and testosterone. Uh, bones, ligaments, joints, it's its everywhere. Um, hair growth, all kinds of things. And yes, it is anabolic. Um, that's why we see that uh, testosterone um, use in athletic performance is a banned substance, because it really does promote uh, greater muscle mass and greater performance um, in higher doses. So so yeah, it does, uh, it does lots of different things, things that we don't think of every day, but then the things that we do think of every day. What happens to it during the menopause transition? So androgens as a whole go down, and that's true of testosterone. When you measure it over time, you find that the levels go down to almost level zero. Um, I, was, I was seeing a patient last week who, had, who is who was menopausal and uh, her testosterone levels were like zero point five, and that is the normal range for a menopausal woman. What uh, is it
0: for a premenopausal woman?
1: Uh, in you'll see it in the twenties and thirties, mm. so it goes down dramatically, and that's you know that's just how much hormone is in the circulation. Um, what goes on in in the tissues is a whole different story, and I think that's something else that you know, when we're trying to figure out as practitioners, well, how do we manage the situation? We have to realize that what is happening in the tissues may not necessarily be reflected by levels in the bloodstream. And a really good example of this is what I see in the infertility world every day. And and what what is commonplace when you have like a Mirena IUD that has progesterone secreted into the uterus, You have high levels of progesterone in the uterus, but if you take someone's blood, you're gonna see just normal, regular levels of progesterone. Um, So you can have high levels in the tissue and have that not be reflected in the bloodstream. So that's why checking levels is important for some things, but it's not always reflective of what's happening in the body system of interest, because there's a whole lot going on in the tissue that you can't see in the bloodstream.
0: I'm intrigued and a bit confused by that. So how do, how do <laughs> you be feel, alone? <laughs> how do you, how do you feel that? Like, is it that it's not getting uptake? Is it like, why, why would it be different in those, in those different places? Why wouldn't you see it in the bloodstream? Like you're seeing in the tissue.
1: Because cells talk to each other on a micro level. So hormones are the language That cells use to talk to one another. And so Mm -hmm. when you think about tissues, you know, they're made up of of millions and millions of microscopic cells that are talking to each other in a very basic level, in a very microscopic level. In the bloodstream, are just, you know, the big pipes that go through your body carrying blood. And so very minute changes that might be happening in the cellular conversation in the tissue. Um, you wouldn't be able to pick up that subtlety necessarily in the circulation. That is very difficult for us as endocrinologists and practitioners to deal with. But that's why with me, I do a lot of checking of hormones. I check hormones all day long. Mm -hmm. It's what I've been doing for 16 years. But the information I glean from it and the way I use that information may be different than a provider that's just doing that whole panel of hormones um, that they do. It's like, okay, well, let's see what's going on well, okay, that's fine. But if someone is complaining of a specific symptom like low libido, what's going on in the circulation may not reflect what's going on in the system, like in the brain that, that is governing libido.
0: Gotcha. So two questions. We know estrogen and progesterone fluctuate like mad during perimenopause. Is that happening with testosterone too? Or is yes. it more,
1: okay. It is, it is. And I can give you an example of why. So this is really interesting. This is, this is where I get all geeked out um, being an endocrinologist. During the normal menstrual cycle in our premenopausal years, we have the LH surge. That's luteinizing hormone. That's coming from the pituitary gland, and that is telling the ovary, okay, it is time to ovulate your egg. What LH also does is it stimulates the ovary to surge your testosterone. And when that happens, libido goes up and sexual behavior goes up. And so, wow, that really makes sense because when do you want sexual behavior to go up? It's when you ovulate the egg because now it's time to make a baby. So what's happening in perimenopause is you've got all this random firing of FSH. It's surging here. The LH is surging. There's no egg present. This conversation is totally convoluted. And so as these LH levels are going up, well, the ovary is like, okay, I'm making testosterone. Okay. I'm not making testosterone. I don't know what I'm doing. So you're getting all of these mixed signals because the pituitary gland is sending out mixed signals because that's just what happens in perimenopause is just every, Everything is disynchronous, and so the testosterone is being influenced by that as well.
0: Is that co- causing symptomology too?
1: Absolutely. When you have that hormonal shit show going on in perimenopause, it's just causing both the estrogen system and the androgen system to go haywire. And in what you perceive when the body is not knowing what to do and not synchronous. And out of its lane, so to speak, you have all of these symptoms. You know that's why mood is all over the place. You know we're feeling anxiety when we never did before. You know one day uh, performance is great. You know I'm deadlifting 190 pounds. The next day, you know I can't deadlift 125. You know, and we have no clue why that is. And, uh, and a lot of that has to do with the dyssynchrony of the hormones and the vastness of the effects, because every system in the body has androgen and estrogen receptors. So everything is being impacted.
0: Mm. Before I get to the natural follow-up question to all this, what effect does it have when testosterone goes from that premenopausal level to the postmenopausal level after the havoc?
1: So that's a really interesting question because a couple of things happen. One, some symptoms, once you're menopausal, actually get better. And the reason is because things have settled out. The raging forest fire has gone out. And now it's like, okay, we can go in there and now we can get some sense of what's going on. So some things actually improve. Other things, though, will not. And that is the consequence of now having a new normal level, which is a much lower level of both estrogen and progesterone. That's why bone density starts to go down. That's why muscle wasting happens. That's why insulin resistance happens is because now we're at this new normal which is lower than it was when we were premenopausal. But some of the symptoms we were experiencing because of the dyssynchrony and just the uh, chaotic um, hormonal fluctuations, those symptoms improve because everything settles out in menopause.
0: That makes total sense. Mm. The $100,000 question is why is testosterone not a typical part of menopausal hormone therapy?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and you know, at the uh, at, at the NAMS meeting, the North American Menopause Society meeting, and among my colleagues in NAMS, I mean, we all ask this question. It's like there's really great data out there that shows that testosterone can be given safely and effectively, and most of the studies are in postmenopausal women or menopausal women, um, if you keep those levels in the premenopausal range, and the data is good. And uh, but they are just there is resistance out there to making this available to us from in terms of FDA related pro, uh, approved products so that we can try this. And I mean, even what is the
0: resistance? Way. Like, what is the resistance?
1: Well, the same. I mean, think about it. The same people who are out there saying women should be shouldn't be taking testosterone, the same people out there saying women shouldn't be lifting heavy shit. You know, it's, it's that, it's that mindset. About what women should or shouldn't be doing, um, and I know people don't like to talk about that. And I know that's a very provocative thing that I'm saying, but I encounter this all the time. You know, um, my patients are being told, uh, you know, being told by some of my colleagues, "Well, you know, don't exercise because that's bad during pregnancy." Well, no, it's not, and the data is is very clear on that. And even when data is clear, those perceptions still persist, and, and it's a huge barrier that, that we, we need to continue to move forward and overcome. But I think there's a lot of that um, that's out there, is this, this perception that women just shouldn't be taking testosterone. It's crazy. Even though it's
0: part of the hormonal milieu that is natural in women that is also declining. Yes,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It just shows you how, you know, how, how much nonsensical stuff is, is going on in the medical community. Um, you know, to be fair and to do the flip side of it, one could say, well, you know, it just isn't studied uh, very much. Mm -hmm. And that's true. There's really only only one area where it's well studied. And that is in the area of libido. But come on, we use we use medications off label all the time. As an infertility specialist, I think I use more off label medication than I do FDA approved medication. It's just the nature of what I do. But, you know, it's and there's nothing wrong with using things off-label as long as you do the risk-benefit analysis with your patient. The patient is informed of you know, what this can help with, what the risks are. and We use off-label drugs all the time. Um, what's challenging about testosterone, though, is that I can use an off-label medication that's FDA approved for something else. I can easily get it, but the problem is, is that the FDA approved testosterone products are dosed for men, and that is 10 times higher than the doses required for women. So that then means that I have to go to a compounding pharmacy um, to create a preparation that that, that I can use safely in, in in a woman.
0: So sticking for a second with the, with the menopausal hormone therapy notion, are there cases in which a woman's hormone therapy would be less effective than it could or should be if you don't have testosterone in the mix?
1: Possibly. What I like to do when I approach when a woman comes to me and says, look, I'm experiencing X, Y, and Z. First thing I do is I rule out other medical causes of her X, Y, Z symptoms. Then I take a look at medications. You know, what is she taking? Could what she's taking for other things like antidepressants be impacting her libido? Oh yes, this particular antidepressant causes is notorious for low libido. We'll have to stop that. So you optimize that. You take a look at their health habits. That's the next step. You wanna make sure that they're, you know, eating reasonably, that they're exercising, that, you know, their health is, is, is optimized as much as possible. Then what I usually do is I go to traditional hormone therapy, estrogen, progesterone, or just estrogen therapy, depending on if they have a uterus, and then give that a trial. And then if that might be fixing X and Y, but maybe Z is still not being fixed, well, can testosterone maybe help Z? Sure. Then we add it on. Um, So yes, I think it should definitely be available to us in our armamentarium. Things like libido and sometimes painful intercourse due to vaginal dryness and some of the atrophy that goes on can really be helped best by androgen therapy. Um, There is actually an FDA-approved DHEA vaginal product for women who experience uh, very, very painful intercourse uh, despite lubrication and everything else. Um, But libido in terms of um, sexual activity and and, uh, behavior and thought process, tea is definitely um, has a role. Tea therapy has a role for that. So yeah, I mean, since that's not available to me, it's very hard for me to prescribe that when regular hormone therapy is is not effective. But we get around it. Um, It's just not easy. Let's talk
0: protein. As you've heard a million times on this show, women in the menopause transition need more of it. As estrogen declines, it's harder for us to make muscle and we need to take in more protein to get the job done. If you're training hard, you need even more, a lot more, two grams per kilogram per day, which for me is about 120 grams. Some days it's a challenge to get through meals alone. So it's nice to have powders on hand when you need them. And if you're looking for one that is low in sugar, high in branch chain amino acids like leucine, which is especially good for muscle protein synthesis or making muscle, and is easy on your belly, our sponsor Prevnex has a good one, Norify Plus. Norify Plus is a vegan protein powder, which I know a lot of our listeners are keen to find, and is also super rich in all of your branch chain amino acids and contains probiotics and digestive enzymes, so it's easy to digest, and doesn't cause the gassy feeling that you get with many other protein powders. which is something that I know a lot of women are interested in as well. Neurofi has more than 130 positive reviews, including one from Hit Play Not Pause listener, Donna, who gave it five stars saying, I just made my second shake with the chocolate vegan protein supplement. It is delicious. I love that it has vitamins and branched chain amino acids. I think this will become my go-to protein powder. Thanks, Donna. So, listeners of this show can get 15% off their first time purchase by using the code HITPLAY at checkout. Again, go to Prevenix.com, use the code HITPLAY at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. If you don't like it, the company offers a 100% money back guarantee on all of the products within 30 days, no questions asked. So again, use HITPLAY, all one word, all caps at checkout, for 15% off your first time purchase at Prevenex, P R E V I N E X.com. Okay, so all this all this kind of begs the question, Carla, that has been bugging me a lot and has been bugging a lot of the elite com- competitive women that I talk to and that I that I travel in circles with is that let's talk sports performance. Okay? Testosterone is a banned substance in sport. We know that um, if a drug test picks up exogenous testosterone in your system, you're popped. you're in trouble, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Women can really not get therapeutic use exemptions. That's not a thing, and it maybe it's because there's no FDA approved product, right I mean, is that why?
1: Yeah, I, I would believe so um, it's It's hard to make the case that a woman needs this when the data isn't necessarily there. Um, mm-hmm you could make the case for libido because the data is there. Um, But then it's like, well, if the data was there, then the FDA would have an approved drug for it. Um, You know, it's, it's really just bureaucracy. It's bureaucracy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the people who, who run the athletic uh, events, they're not doctors, they're not healthcare providers. They're like, look, just, you know, someone tell me what to do. Um, And so it's a very, I think they see it through a very narrow lens, you know, in part because they don't understand it. And
0: I don't think that they understand that there are menopausal women in their wake. Right. Like I really don't. So it seems like, in circumstances in which a woman, a menopausal woman would benefit from testosterone therapy for whatever reason in, you know, in her menopausal journey, she should be able to get a TUE as long as her levels remain in permitted ranges. And there are permitted ranges, they're for endogenous, but there is a range that is permitted. And it, you know, I guess my question for you is, would it be like, would it make you bionic? I mean, or would it just make you like feel better? <laughs> you know, I, it, it doesn't... I am struggling with this a lot. And I know that a lot of women in this sport are struggling with it because we're kind of new in this, in this um, demographic in, in these competitive spaces. There haven't been women ahead of us, not many.
1: Yeah, no, it's true. And what's, what's interesting is as a fertility specialist, I have a lot of professional athletes who come to me and say, I, I have an event coming up and they need a list of all of my medications that I'm taking for fertility and it has to be disclosed. And many of the things that we prescribe for fertility treatment um, would be on the banned substance list or trigger a positive test. So what I've been able to do for my infertility patients is I, you know, fill out the form and they, we disclose it. I tell them, you know, she's under my care for infertility. If you have any questions, call me. That usually is fine. Mm. So, you know, I wonder what would happen if, uh, you know, a menopausal woman comes to me and I write a letter to the event managers saying she is on tea therapy as part of her menopausal hormone therapy. I right. wonder if they would take it. Um, they do take it for infertility drugs. I'm not quite sure why, um, they wouldn't for, for tea.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I, and I think that more of us should maybe question that because it's, you know, we're, we're We're part of a a generation that is, like I said, I think new to, to people, to the governing bodies in sport, you know, they're just not used to women in this, this age bracket in this time of life, like competing at these levels. And there's only going to be more in the, in waves to come. So I think it's definitely something that we should all consider.
1: Yeah. And there needs to be a push for it, you know, um, and there needs to be providers that, that go to bat for, uh, for the athletes for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, it, I don't think it's insurmountable because like I said, you know, many of the infertility drugs have banned substances as well. And right. I've had athletes very successfully navigate that. So maybe it's just a matter of, we need to try.
0: That's good. That's music to my ears. I'm all about it. So let's talk various ways the tea can be given because I know, you know, there's the whole, and I've heard from people who love their pellets, but I've also heard that pellets can be problematic and they seem to be like very popular right now. And maybe it's because of this compounding pharmacy situation, but let's talk about the various ways that tea can be given and like what, how, how it works best, you know, in your, in your experience and in your opinion and what are the pros and cons of those administrations?
1: Sure. Typically uh, it is most effective and safely given transdermally, meaning through the skin. Mm -hmm. Uh, There used to be a transdermal patch that was approved in Europe. It was on the market in Europe um, and it was dosed for women. Uh, but that was since taken off the market. I'm not sure why. Uh, So in lieu of that, uh, what many of us do is we use a compounding pharmacy to create a cream that is dosed for women. And you apply the cream to your thigh, your buttocks, um, you know, one of those areas. You have to be very careful. Um, Once you put it on, you got to wash your hands because if you play with your pets or, um, you know, if you have a small baby, you can very, you know, easily transfer hormone to your pet or to your baby. Um, so you have to be careful with that. But that's the safest way to give it in the appropriate dose. Because again, the female dose is one tenth that of the male dose. So it's very hard to take a male cream, you know, like androgel, and maybe get one tenth of the the dose and try to put it on. And you know, that's important because when the levels in the circulation get above a certain range side effects can start to happen like deepening of the voice and deepening of the voice is irreversible. That's one thing that cannot go back to normal. Even if you stop temporal balding that may or may not be partially reversible. Um, that's when you lose hair in a male like the widow's
0: state. peak kind of thing. They used to call kind of it. Like
1: that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like in the temporal area, you have mm-hmm. like hair receding. Um, and I'm not sure that that's reversible either. Uh, hair growth typically is, you know, you, you might see hair growth on your abdomen, on your breasts. That's what we've seen a lot of patients with polycystic ovarian syndrome is, you know, some of them have full beards. Um, hair growth, though, is reversible. So when you get into those ranges, that's when those side effects start to happen. And um, clitoral so- enlargement? Oh yeah. Clitoromegaly. That's a thing. Oh, I,
0: clitoromegaly. <laughs> it,
1: it, that's a thing. I've seen it uh, a couple of times. It is rare, um, but it can happen. And I was horrified on the hit play not pause site where people were saying their doctors are telling them to put their testosterone cream directly. <gasps> on the clitoris. People are telling patients to do this and that <gasps> it, there is absolutely zero data, zero safety, zero reason to be doing that. Oh, um,
0: So, yeah,
1: when you put such a high dose in that very concentrated area, uh, that is not recommended. Um, If you're having issues with sexual response, there are other FDA-approved, safer things to use, like the DHEA cream. Um, Do not put your testosterone cream directly on your clitoris, please, or else you (laughs) might wake up with a small penis the next day, and that's right.
0: I'm suddenly pitching a tent. Okay. (laughs) um, Can you talk a bit because of pellets are so popular. Like what are the, what are things that people should look out for for pellets? Is it the dosing that it's not even?
1: It's a couple of things. Um, yes. Dosing that's not even because what happens is the pellet goes under the skin and it releases a certain amount of hormone over a certain period of time. And what happens with these types of things Is you put it in when you first put it in, you get a much higher level. It goes up, 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 up like a mountain, and then it goes into those higher ranges and where you want to go. And then it comes down and it levels out somewhere else. Um, That's one issue with it is that the dosing, the dose level in the circulation isn't consistent in May go beyond the range you want it to be. The second thing is, is if you put anything under your skin, that's going to be there for a long period of time, what if you have a reaction to it? If you have a reaction to it, and this is like a three month pellet, well, you're kind of up the creek because, you know, maybe you can remove it, but some of the hormones already gotten into your system. So that's the other thing about them um, that one has to be careful of. Now, the flip side of that is that people use pellets all the time. They're being used and a lot of A lot of different um, places have a lot of experience using them. Women love them. But, and you know, am I terribly concerned about their safety? I'll be honest with you. I'm not terribly concerned about their safety, but what I'm more concerned about is are people spending money on stuff that they don't need to be spending money on when there might be other reasons why they're feeling the way they're feeling? So again, especially when you go to a place that is financially benefiting from the pellets that they're giving you, you know, they're formulating them in their own pharmacy and there was a financial incentive for the company to have you taking pellets. They may not be so diligent about saying, oh, your antidepressant actually might be causing your low libido. Why would they do that? They want you to take the pellets.
0: Right. So
1: We're not, we're going to ignore the antidepressant when really you could just switch to another one that doesn't have those side effects and there are plenty of them. So, you know, That's the only thing. The only thing is you may be spending money on something that A, may not be effective in treating your problem, or B, your problem could be treated by someone who takes a more holistic approach to your symptomatology. And you may may be able to solve the problem, you know, with just a copay for a product that's FDA approved, or at least used off label and FDA approved for something else. So right. I'm less concerned about safety, but more that people are spending money where they don't need to be spent, um, you know, in, in trying to solve their their problems.
0: Oh, excellent, excellent points. And I, I appreciate I appreciate all of that. So for as far as monitoring it, like how often do you have to like get your get it checked, get your levels checked?
1: So, if I prescribe it for somebody, I'll put them on a transdermal cream that I use an accredited compounding pharmacy for. And in in, in when people are looking for compounding pharmacy, this is a tangent, but I, I want to make sure. No, it's notice. important.
0: It's important because it comes up a lot.
1: Yes. So, if you are looking for a compounding pharmacy, you want it to be PCAB accredited. And what PCAB mm-hmm. stands for is Pharmacy Compounding Accreditation Board. This is. Within the pharmaceutical industry, they have internal standards of purity and consistency that they impose on pharmacy. The FDA isn't the only body in the world that can, you know, oversee a, an organization to make sure that they're, you know, that they're, you know, functioning at the highest standards. There are local within the industry uh, standards that are set forth, and so the PCAB is an accrediting agency that a compounding pharmacy has to meet X, Y, and Z criteria for them to be PCAB accredited. So that's what you want to look for when you are looking for a a compounding pharmacies that they have an accreditation like that. And that's the most important, the most common one. So once I do that, she's taking, you know, she's usually on um, estrogen, progesterone, HT as well, um, because I want to try to solve as many problems as I can with that. Then I'd probably check her levels after about two to four weeks, uh, see what they are. And I would check a total testosterone. You can also check free androgen index FAI, Um, but some of the literature I've been reading more recently suggests that a total serum testosterone may be uh, better. However, you also have to take into account sex hormone binding globulin in medications that can um, increase that, like a belief thyroid medication can increase that protein. And what that protein does and why it's important is that it can mop up and bind to free testosterone. And when free testosterone is bound up by this protein, it can't function in the tissue. It's like it's being held hostage, it can't function in the tissue. So, um, you, so total testosterone takes into account those two things, but you have to consider that when you're trying to figure out what your levels are. So anyway, your provider should know how to do that. So that's, I would check it in about two to four weeks. And then I would also check it if she calls me and says, Carla, I'm growing a beard. (laughs) Then I'll say, okay, let's check your testosterone or I I'm pitching a tent. Um, we need to check this. Um, yeah, for sure. I'm now a baritone when I was a tenor um, before. So you have to check when the patient is, is experiencing, you know, potential side effects to see just where are these levels.
0: Right, um, right, right. But
1: routinely i check it in the first two to four weeks. If they look good, I might wait three months and then check it again. So
0: just circling back a little bit, I, I, I realized that I asked the performance enhancing question and didn't complete the, the thought. So do we know at what point you are getting like, if if a woman is in perimenopause and postmenopause and her levels are very, very low and we get them just to that baseline level, whatever it would be to be, you know, quote unquote normal. Is that some sort of, do we know if that confers some incredible performance enhancing effect?
1: That is a great, great question. There was actually a study done. I'm, I'm looking to my left here and I'm pulling it out here. Um, where they, this was one of the few studies that did this, where they actually looked at different doses of T therapy and looked at body composition Mm -hmm. and strength. Mm -hmm. And two of the three different doses they checked had women in the premenopausal range, but the third dose had them outside the premenopausal range, but not quite at the male. uh, Higher,
0: I'm guessing higher than the premenopausal range. Yes. Higher
1: um, close to the male range, but not in the male range. Um, cause there's quite a gap between the upper limit of the, uh, normal female range, which is like 45 to 50 and the, uh, in the lower end of the male range, which is 200. So in oh, that, okay. gray, yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> kind of what it looks like. There's a space there. So sometimes women will, will be up in that, in that, um, in that other gray area with this, with this third dose. And what they found was, is that they only saw, strength and lean body mass change with those higher doses that are outside the premenopausal range. That's so, great to
0: hear. Interesting. Yeah.
1: And, but here's the other kicker. When we think about body composition, one of the things that happens when women get too much testosterone or androgen is that they can become more insulin resistant. Now in perimenopause and menopause, Insulin resistance is a problem because the estrogen levels are going down. You can actually make that worse uh, with testosterone, potentially. And the reason why you see lean body mass go up is not because fat's going down. It's because muscle mass is increasing. So you, you may be able to get better performance in, in more muscle mass, but it might exacerbate your insulin resistance. Um, so it's a funny equilibrium and, you know, women respond to it much differently than men do, but women do see improvement in athletic performance at those higher ranges. Now, might she see some improvement of other things? Like maybe she'll sleep better. Maybe the T is being converted to E and maybe her hot flashes are better. And if she's sleeping at night, she's going to do better on her, uh, in her event. Sure. That could happen too. But some of the things we traditionally think of, you know, is the strength and the endurance. I think that at least according to some of the studies I've seen, you need to have those those higher levels of serum testosterone achieved before you start seeing those differences.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for that. And I want to circle because I hear some people talking about using DHEA. Are there circumstances in which you use that instead of T or... Where is yes, that vaginally. picture? Oh okay. Vaginally, okay. Yeah,
1: yeah, There's, um Intrarosa is a uh, FDA approved product that's used vaginally in women who have pain with sexual activity due to the the vaginal thinning and the dryness. It's not just like dryness with sex, this is like actual pain on the people experience. Um, So DHEA actually works better for that. And, And the vaginal tissue is very possible that it responds or has receptors for DHEA more so or preferentially to T receptors. And this is, this is why I was saying there's so many players in the androgen system, different tissues use those androgens differently. It may respond better to DHA and not to T, which is why you shouldn't be putting T on your clitoris, um, <laughs> you know? So it, it, it gets complicated.
0: Yes. We're going to, we're going to keep drilling that point home. Okay. <laughs> I guess my final question is, you know, you read all these articles, my God, and, and, in the men's magazines particularly, but it's coming up a little bit in the women's space too now with this interest in tea. Can you quote unquote, boost it with exercise and nutrition? Can you do things to boost your natural testosterone levels?
1: You know, that's a great question. And I don't know the answer to that. I'm not sure it's been studied. I haven't seen much actual peer reviewed literature on that. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that when I'm trying to PR a deadlift and I'm playing Ozzy Osbourne on the radio, that man, I'm feeling like I can conquer the world. (laughs) But is it because my testosterone level is going up or is it something else? Um, You know, uh, it's hard to know. It's hard to know what the cause effect relationship is. And, you know, you'd have to the way you'd study that is you would have somebody, you know, uh, do some strength training and then check their T levels. Uh, but I'm not even I, sure that would do it. it it's I a hard thing think, to
0: study. Yeah. I, I, you know, actually, you know, Huberman, the Huberman lab. Have you heard his podcast?
1: I haven't. No, I haven't heard that
0: one. Andrew, he, he does uh long form podcast on performance things often in the exercise space. And one of his recent shows was on it's, it's triggering a memory on just this, where they were trying to see if lifting heavy shit would would stimulate the adrenals you know to to trigger to get more testosterone essentially and there was a thought that they that you could you know but it was like a oh my god it was like 10 sets of five reps or something like that it was it was quite a big it was quite a big load but it you know it was an interesting exercise and they were trying to do what you're saying like do this you know modality do so many sets and reps and then check but it's difficult it's not it's not like a they acknowledge that it's not the neatest process and you're not necessarily knowing exactly what, what the end result is of all of it.
1: Right. And, in adrenaline, you know, like norepinephrine, epinephrine, that so the whole sympathetic nervous system, I mean, its whole role is putting you on high alert so that you can perform physically optimally. It's the flight or the fight or flight response. So you can, with 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 increasing adrenaline, which you can get with music, uh, Les Mills has done a lot of. Les Mills is a uh, fitness company out of Auckland, uh, New Zealand. Uh, they did a lot of research on the impact of music on um, physical performance, and it has to do with you know activating that fight or flight system. You know, getting the adrenals and the adrenaline yeah. going, um, because when the adrenaline's going, it kind of feels like what we think of as if your testosterone is, is enhanced. So that is what makes it really difficult is because you have other hormones in the body that can make you feel, you know, that if you have that, that mojo thing going, Jack you up, they Jack you up. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But Hey, whatever works, whether it's epinephrine, norepinephrine, testosterone, I don't care what it is. If I can PR my deadlift, I'm a happy person.
0: Right. That words to live by. This has been amazing. Is there anything that we haven't covered about testosterone that you think is important for our audience
1: to know? Um, I think I think one thing that we have to be very careful of is when we are reading articles or seeking medical care from a provider that is offering tea therapy or advertising tea therapy. You want to see if they are gaining financially from the product that they're selling. If if they're selling product, they're gaining financially. And, and, you know, there's just something about going to a caregiver to solve a problem and their bias is toward selling you product. Uh, You know, I think many people do good work. I think everybody's intentions are pretty good, but you have to always... Keep that in the back of your mind. When you go to a provider, are they trying to sell you something? Are they financially gaining disproportionately from getting, you know, lab values every two weeks you know, you just kind of want to scope that out. You know, if you go to a physician, most physicians, you know, most of us do not gain financially from any prescriptions that we write, you know, we write them, the, the drug companies are the ones that make the money, we don't. And so there's really no financial incentive for us as physicians to prescribe one thing or another. But when you go to other types of caregivers who have whole um, practices that include benefiting from selling product and financially benefiting from drawing lots and lots of lab work. You just have, you just have to keep that in mind, that there could be a conflict of interest there. So I just caution people to be wary of that and just know that that dynamic is out there and, um, just do your homework, you know, do your homework before you seek care with, uh, with a provider and, um, and, uh, you know, you just want someone who's looking out for your best interest and, and not a financial interest.
0: Totally. And and I'm sure you won't mind if I play a little devil advocate here. Um, you know, I mean, I, I when you were saying that, I knew exactly what you were saying, yet my ears perk up and go, yeah, but don't the drug companies take you guys to Acapulco and incentivize you to prescribe? You know, I mean, that comes up, right? Yeah, Oh, uh, it
1: absolutely does. In, um, in Massachusetts, uh, a while back, uh, they actually banned. They couldn't even give us a pen.
0: Oh, Seriously.
1: wow. We'd go to the meetings. They weren't even allowed to give us a, a nice pen. <laughs> um, let alone take us to to Florida. They really have cracked down on the pharma laws as they mm-hmm. should, because it does provide a conflict of interest. And how can patients trust us as providers if they know that SeroNo is going to take us on a golf outing or 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 a trip to the Caribbean when maybe you know Faring has the better product, right? You know. Patients have to be able to trust their providers. So that's absolutely right. It does exist in medicine. Um, it exists everywhere. And so no matter, you know, if the patient's seeing an allopathic physician, just a regular physician like myself or somebody else, um, you gotta always do your homework on all of your providers. No one is immune to it. Um, you, just, you just wanna make sure that your, your doc is on the up and up and taking care of your best interest. We always tell
0: people to go to NAMS, you know, to check for a menopause certified provider. Is that, is that as relevant here with the testosterone discussion? Do you think?
1: I do. I do because, you know, when I was studying for my NCMP, uh, that's the NAMS certified menopause practitioner exam, that's the credential that you're Mm -hmm. referring to that required a whole heck of a lot of study and review of the most current literature in menopausal medicine and it's a different approach it's an allopathic approach there are naturopathic approaches as well i am not familiar with how much peer reviewed literature is in the naturopathic realm so i really can't speak to it but i can tell you that people in uh, who are who have studied for and passed that ncmp exam are, they have to be up on on the most uh, the most current peer reviewed literature that's out there, and it's just a different approach. It's a very evidence based approach. But sometimes you know, you know, I love my colleagues, I do. But sometimes there's analysis paralysis. It's like, well, if there's mm-hmm. no data, we can't do it. Well you know, that's, there's no, th- there might not be ever be data. So does that mean we never do this? And, and we, and that's why we don't have any FDA approved products for testosterone is because <laughs> of this analysis paralysis. So, you know, the allopathic docs don't necessarily have it all correct either. Right. Um, but I think at least you want someone with the knowledge of the peer reviewed literature as a foundation. And then you would hope that you have somebody that is, you know, confident enough and uh you know open-minded enough to be able to think outside the box and maybe have someone lift heavy shit for you know for for two or three times a week you know that's the first thing we have to get the allopathic world to do is open up their minds to the benefits of of exercising like that but also to things totally. like testosterone too.
0: totally and that's yeah. why i mean i feel like having a conversation with your doctor and be willing to look at it that way like that you you can keep having conversations with doctors until you find one that you feel is listening to you and you feel is jives with this kind of stuff right like like I could have a conversation with you as like a potential doctor be like okay this person is hearing me and she is um willing to give all this other stuff a try and I and I think that is part of the interview process of, of finding someone to work with you at this stage of your life, at any stage, really.
1: Absolutely. And it's tough to find. And, you know, this is why um, CrossFit Health was formed because, and this is just, this has nothing to do with tea, but it has everything to do with thinking outside the box and, and using exercise as therapy rather than turning to drugs. Um, CrossFit health right now is launching, um, CrossFit precision care, which is a whole healthcare system based on thinking outside the box about how we treat medical conditions. It's the most exciting time. And it's not just a problem within the menopausal community. This is a problem in all areas of medicine. All of us in different areas are expressing this frustration with traditional medicine, just, you know, Everybody's in analysis paralysis. God forbid we try something different.
0: Love it. Well, Carla, you never disappoint. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Oh, well, thank
1: you for having me. I, I love doing these interviews. It's uh, something I'm really passionate about, as you know. Well, that's our show. Join me next week
0: when I sit down and talk with Katrina Courtney who is a registered sport and exercise nutritionist and the owner of Elevate Nutrition. Katrina was featured in an article in the Irish Times about how to protect your health and well-being during menopause. She's got four kids, she's an ultra runner, and she is managing many perimenopausal symptoms like brain fog and joint pain as we speak. So we dive into all of that. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty.